Dublin's Talking Sport with Ken Doherty and Reggie Corrigan. Sponsored by insuremycars.ie, low-cost car insurance specialists. See how much you can save at insuremycars.ie. On Sunshine 106.8. Sunshine 106.8. Sunshine 106.8 Dublin's Talking Sport Welcome to Dublin's Talking Sports podcast with me, Ken Doherty, and my good friend, Reggie Corrigan. Thanks for tuning in to catch up on the latest GAA, football, rugby, and all the crack. Enjoy the show, and don't forget, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Morning, Reg. Happy ha- New Year to you. And many happy returns. Did you have a nice break? Had a lovely time, thank you. Yeah, really nice time back uh, back home for Christmas. And uh, looking forward to the Masters, of course, that's tomorrow. So back uh, back uh, tomorrow. I've been down in Cork and Wexford over the last few days with Jimmy White, having a few games at a couple of exhibitions. So having a, a whale of a time. Yeah, absolutely. I knew you were travelling around all right. Jimmy in good form, he is? He is in good form, yeah. And he's looking forward to the Masters as well. It should be... The darts have moved out of Ali Pali and the snookers moved in. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, darts, I presume you're watching it. What a uh, sensational story. Uh, Littler, the man at the moment, <laughs> like the, the, yeah. the, the, boy, the boy man, the boy child, or whatever way you want to call it, the yeah, man child. <laughs> absolutely fantastic, wasn't it? Oh, and how close, how close he got. Like, you know, it's just that, that double two. I think yeah. that changed the whole match. Didn't changed it? everything. Yeah, 5-2 up. He had got that. I think he would have been world champion, and uh, but amazing story, you know. I mean, sixteen-year-old looking like probably forty-six, but yeah. <laughs> but uh, the way, just the way he played darts, it was very actually reminded me of a young Ronnie O'Sullivan when he burst onto the scene thirty years ago. Reg, uh, very very similar, you know. But brilliant, great for darts, great watch over the over the Christmas and New Year, and. Uh, what a future he has ahead of him, and what a lovely lad as well to go with it, you know. Absolutely. Well, what you said there, great for darts. I've never seen anything like the uh, interest that there came yeah. in darts over this, and people who would never, ever watch a game of darts in their life were, were tuned in for this, and certainly, yeah. I'd say World Darts would be, um, they'll be all over him now just to try and keep him involved, and <laughs> there's oh, loads of lads out in garages now playing but getting dartboards and trying to become the next uh, Littler. I mean, he's he's incredible. He really was incredible. Yeah, oh, brilliant. It's, it's just, uh, and you know, just it's all sort of his attitude about it. Just loving, loving going out playing. No sort of fear, no nerves. You know, just really enjoying it and great to see. You know, I mean, he has everything and he's got a he's got a great future ahead of him. He keeps his head in his shoulders and. Uh, you know, there's no doubt uh, he'll be world champion someday. He, he must be disappointed, you know, because the game's so close. But uh, you have to hand it to, to I must say, yeah, Humphreys played. Yeah, you got to hand it to Humphreys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Pressure was on him. Littler had beaten all around him. Didn't matter how big the name was. Four two down. As you said, that that double two uh, was a big moment. Uh, but yeah. Humphreys was just like to, the way he went on he from that moment. Unbelievable, yeah, he was game, wasn't he? I mean in the trebles, you know, so cool under pressure. And uh, with all the, you know, the the attention around Luke Litter, you know, there's a lot of pressure on, on Luke Humphreys. Absolutely. Know, and with, you know, winning those three tournaments before the Wood Challenge, there's still a lot of pressure on him. Yeah. And um, with the way he handled it in the end, which is fantastic. Great, great to see. Great, great uh, sporting finale. 
Absolutely. You you had um, a bit of a, a seniors tournament yourselves there uh, recently. Tell us a little bit we about did. that. Yeah, we were for the first time actually on on Channel Five. We played at uh, Epsom Racecourse, Epsom Downs, and uh, Jimmy White, Stephen Hendry, myself, Dennis Taylor, Tony Knowles, Joe Johnson, nineteen eighty six champion, and uh, yeah, seniors event, a one frame shootout. And Stephen Hendry ended up beating Jimmy White in the final. Jimmy White beat me in the semi-final, and Stephen beat Jimmy in the final. Great, great tournament, Reg. Yeah. Great format. You know, just a 15-minute frame and a 20-second shot clock. And whoever's in the lead, uh, well, actually, all the frames finished. So we didn't, there wasn't one frame that wasn't finished in the 15 minutes, which was, which was quite incredible. And uh, first time on Channel 5, so it was, uh, it was brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. And the great news is, that we're going to stage one in Goffs on March the 2nd. So Snooker is coming back to Ireland. It's going Brilliant. to be televised on Channel 5. I know we don't get Channel 5 over in Ireland, but, yeah. uh, but the fact that uh, these other legends are coming to coming to Goffs and we're going to have Snooker back there, hopefully it's the start of, of many more tournaments there in Goffs to come because we've been starved of Snooker here in the Republic of Ireland now for a few years, you know. Absolutely. Well, there's plenty of uh, talent coming through in snooker, as you said um, mm. before. So, I mean, it is good that we're getting that exposure. And I suppose yeah. the Luke Littler story proves exactly um, what it is that sport needs. It needs yeah. that kind of different angle and the, and the new story to try and get the headlines again. And as you said, when Ronnie appeared on the scene years ago, yeah, yeah, uh, there was yeah. that level of excitement. So we need, we need someone from here to kind of um, yeah. make it, I suppose. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, the fact that Luke Littler, you know, so young, uh, will inspire a lot of young, I'm sure a lot of young children were watching that, you know, mm. they might take up darts or, you know, get the fathers, take them down and play darts and stuff like that, get dartboards for or Christmas or the birthdays, you know. And it's the same with Snooker all those years ago. When I when I first saw Alex Higgins on Pop Black, you know, I got a little snooker table. It was at the end of my bunk bed on a Christmas morning when I was eight years of age. Yeah. And it inspired me, you know. So mm. uh, hopefully you will do the same. But yeah, to have Snooker back in Ireland, back in Goffs, where the Irish Masters was yeah, many, many moons ago, um, it'll be great, great for Snooker, you know. So I'm uh, really looking forward to that. Absolutely. March the 2nd, Reg. March the 2nd. We'll definitely have that in Goffs, yeah, Televising yeah. Channel 5. Looking forward to that one. Um, tell me, we've a uh, new year ahead of us. There's plenty yeah. of sport in there, that's for sure. What are you looking forward to most? Oh, what am I looking forward to? Well, of course, uh, I'm looking forward to a big change in Manchester United. That's for sure. When, when's that happening, Ken? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It might not be this year, Reg, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, we saw Jim Radcliffe go to, the, go to Manchester United. Me, meet the team, meet the management, and probably try and instill some ideas that he might have, you know. So we'll wait and see. It's going to take a lot of time, you know. There's no doubt about that, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's going to take a lot of time, a lot of investment, a lot of new players, a lot of big clear out, I'd say, as well, Red. So hopefully there'll be big changes at the club and we'll see some... uh, some new changes over the, over the next, but it will. It's going to take a long time, you know. But. And how are you feeling about the the Premier League? Not from a United point of view, but in general, it's pretty. It's a pretty open league this year. It's pretty open, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's been amazing. Open. I think Liverpool have got a great chance. Arsenal. I mean, your team. Uh, we're blown. We're blown. Yeah, already they've slipped up a little bit, but yeah. it's still a long way to go. Now, there is, yeah, but it just doesn't. Man City, Man City are waiting in the wings, but yeah, Arsenal have dropped a few points over the last few games. But I think it's going to be one of those seasons, Reg, where a lot of the teams are going to drop points. You know, it's become so competitive. 
uh, that no one is going to run away with it. And Man City, as I said, without playing that well, are still there and thereabouts, and they're waiting in the wings. But I think Liverpool are, are looking the strongest of out of those like three. Tottenham are starting to come back. You know, they they lost it for a little while, but they uh, have certainly got it back now. So uh, yeah, it's become really interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I agree with you. Spurs are, they're, but they're hot and cold, aren't they? I mean, you, you don't know where you are with them. Like, they, yeah, they, they they can be brilliant, and then uh, it just falls apart again the following week in a game that you think they're they're kind of destined to win. Um, right. Aston Villa, though, I mean, they're they're a bit yeah, of a surprise. What a story. Yeah, what a story. Yeah, I mean that Unai Emery. You know, he, he won. Did he win three Europa Leagues with Seville? Mm, yeah, fantastic record. Uh, he was with Arsenal for a while, of course. Didn't work out for him, but he's come back, and I mean, how well he has that team playing, you know, with very little budget as well. Yeah, uh, incredible manager. He's done a great, great job, and uh, yeah, Arsenal, uh, Aston Villa are doing superbly well in the top four. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. But City are still, uh, there are rivals. They are still, as you said, a game in hand, and they're sitting there, just um, five points off the lead, and a game in hand. It just feels that. In this early part of 2024, they can't afford to be too many slip-ups by teams or they'll just cruise back into position. Probably, yeah. But uh, I think, as I said, I think a lot of teams are going to take points. And, um, you know, when it gets into now, you know, the tour of the season, January, after the transfer window, because they're going to lose them in both Salah, Liverpool. Mm. That's going to be a big uh, change for them. And uh, we'll see how well they cope with with their forwards they'll be delighted to have Jonathan back of course Nunes has been scoring but not not a prolific scorer but yeah, uh, but yeah losing Salah will be a big difference for Liverpool they lose him for about four or five weeks and uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see how they cope but yeah it's going to be really I think it's going to be a really tight season looking forward to it and hopefully United get on some sort of run and get back up uh, get back up amongst the uh, Champions League places Absolutely. Okay. Well, uh, we better let you go. Get preparing okay. for the old Masters and uh, yeah. make sure that's tomorrow. That starts yeah in the Ali Pally. Tomorrow starts tomorrow afternoon. Uh, back on uh, commentary duties tomorrow night. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be a great week of snooker. Top sixteen in the world battling it out for one of the biggest tournaments on the on the calendar. Live on BBC. New year, new formats in some things, but uh, uh, rugby is kind of staying to the same old script. And I'm delighted to be joined on the line by the one and only Will Slattery of the Irish Independent and Left Wing Podcast. Happy New Year, Will, and welcome back. Thanks, Reggie. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, looking forward to this year, I have to say. It's uh, it's one, it's a bit of a mixed bag at the moment. It's hard to know where the Irish provinces stand. We'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. Um, but I suppose... The Six Nations is literally just around the corner. It's crept up on us. And after all of the hullabaloo of the World Cup last year, um, it seems that it's sort of quick to have another major competition upon us. But uh, like I said, just around the corner again. How how are we looking, do you think? It's a funny one because the World Cup was a new departure for Ireland. I know it was the same exit point as many other World Cups, but the the, the, the hype around it, the, the expectations of actually winning a World Cup, the performances they reached, albeit in losing a quarterfinal, makes this kind of a different kind of Six Nations going into post-World Cup. The other ones, it's been very low expectations, kind of rebuild almost. I, I don't know what we're kind of expecting now. The first game was France away on a Friday night in Marseille. It doesn't get much more difficult than that, especially with no Johnny Sexton. Like ultimately, I think Ireland are in a pretty good place. Uh, one thing that would concern me a little bit is, has been the form of some of the players post-World Cup. I wonder 
what the mental hangover has been like. Some guys have been pretty good. Some guys haven't really played. Some guys have been injured. Other guys have had time off for various reasons. So, as you said, it's hard to know exactly where the team is. You know, the next two Champions Cup weekends will play a big part. Obviously, the squad is being named in 10 days. I don't expect there to be any new faces, really. There might be one or two people, like Will Connors, who gets back in. But I think it would be very much the squad that we've become accustomed to over the last... 12 to 18 months. A squad definitely good enough to win a Six Nations once again, but you know that first game will really set the tone. No Johnny Sex and if Ireland go out and lose in France, the, the narrative will start. How will they be without him? So it's very intriguing, and I, I agree with you. It feels funny to be going straight back in, or what feels like straight back into another international competition, but I suppose life moves on, you know, rugby moves on quickly and they have to go again. Yeah, and they do indeed, and and you're right, it does move on quickly and that's what it's all about. But I suppose the, the, the big question is going to be, we're, we're good in a lot of positions, but we also have injuries affecting the provinces, uh, most notably, of course, Munster. They're absolutely plagued with, pro- with, with injuries at the moment. And it's going to be a concern um, for Andy Farrell as well because it limits the numbers of players that he ha- now has in his pool to call up. The key position, obviously, at, at 10, um, everybody sees that as being somewhat nailed on. Um, but there are a few players sticking their hand up and, and, and looking for inclusion. Um, I saw Billy Burns getting a lot of attention. I don't think he's quite there yet, uh, back in Farrell's mind. But, uh, you know, that 10 position, where where do you see that going? And will there be any surprises? I don't think so. It's funny, Billy Burns couldn't have timed that great performance last weekend any better, given mm. Ross Byrne is injured, Johnny Sexton is obviously retired. But I'm expecting Jack Crowley, Harry Byrne and Kieran Frawley to be the three out halves. Jack Crowley to start. And probably, maybe Kieran Frawley in the bench because of his versatility, but... Because like Andy Farrell has never gone by provincial selections. Leo Cullen obviously thinks, and his co- coaching staff obviously think, Harry Byrne is a better out half than Kieran Frawley. All their selections across probably a couple of seasons indicate that, but in particular the Lower Shell game and how they managed that couple of weeks, I think indicates that they think Harry Byrne is better at out half. But Andy Farrell, I'm not sure if he agrees. I wouldn't be surprised if Farrelly gets that 22 jersey, as I mentioned, because of his versatility. But for me, Jack Crowley is definitely nailed on. Ross Byrne, I think, would have been in the mix had he not got injured because Andy Farrell definitely does value his kind of game management and what he's been able to do at Leinster in terms of steering that ship. But I think Jack Crowley's rightly going to be the starting out half barring any injury. And like, what an opportunity for him. Like We're kind of talking about it in the sense of, oh, Johnny's gone, how will the team perform? But if Ireland do go to France on a Friday night, and I would argue this Marseille on a Friday night could be even more hostile than, than the Stade de France game, you know, if, if they can win that, what will that do for Jack Crowley? It'll turbocharge his kind of confidence, his international stature, so there's a massive opportunity there as well. As you mentioned, there's injuries. You know, at Munster that have probably stymied how much he's been able to do with the team because they're so plagued with injuries. As you said, I don't think I've seen a team with a, with a more ridiculous injury list. But yeah, that's how I'm looking at the out-of-half situation at the moment. I think there's three pretty obvious candidates. Billy Burns, I think his time has come and gone despite that good performance. And I, yeah, I think those three guys, I'd be surprised it wasn't those three in the squad. 
Um, just to finish on, on the France thing, it, it, it is also a bit bizarre to think that we're not going to have Antoine Dupont uh, in in that Six Nations this year as he takes his place in the sevens set up for the um, Olympics, obviously. But also, Galtier, it, it, they've changed the structure over there, so he can only call on 34 players for the squad on a weekly basis. So um, the top 14 teams putting their foot down a little bit pulling back the power a little bit more. So maybe France might be a little bit disrupted for this Six Nations and getting them in the first game might be a good thing. I agree. Yeah, I agree. If you're going to play them first game, definitely. And the DuPont thing, I think, is absolutely barmy. Like, you know, for him as the captain of the team, to kind of say, I'm stepping away from my Six Nations duties and potentially Toulouse's running in the Champions Cup. They haven't yeah. won a Champions Cup in a number of years. I would be, if I was in that squad, I'd be scratching my head. Yeah. Kind of chasing this kind of sevens. I get they're at home. You know, there's probably a huge political backing behind it. He's probably got maybe a nice pay bump to do it. And obviously after the World Cup disappointment, there's probably a sense of, you know, reclaiming some national pride or glory. But it's not rugby union. Like, yeah, it's yeah. not 15. He's it's a, a different game. superstar. It's a, it's a completely game. different yeah. game. Yeah. And what about the guys who, who soldiered in that squad for the last number of years? Yeah. It's similar in Ireland. It's been mooted that they might call up one player per, per province or they have the scope to do that. If it's someone like, say, Andrew Smith at Connacht who's played sevens and is not a marquee player, fair enough. But if Hugo Keenan is approached, I think it would be crazy to step away from Six Nations Champions Cup yeah like that's a major opportunity like to be fair when he was injured at the World Cup Maxime Luchu was pretty decent but he's not Antoine Dupont Mm. and Dupont is the captain I just I find it mad to be honest and I really disagree with it yeah, I, I, I must admit I was shocked by it as well. I was shocked. You said he gets a pay bump. He probably gets a pay bump. I don't know whether he does or doesn't. In fact, in my mind, I was thinking it must be um, a reduction in pay that he'd have to be taking a pay cut for it because, in, you know, it's just not the game that Union is. It doesn't have the same following. It doesn't have the same numbers. It's not almost a national sport like uh, rugby is. In, in France, it's, you know, right up there with the... Um, elite sports, the, the following that it has, it's bizarre to me that he would be able to step away. Uh, they're absolutely most important players, just bizarre, because the Six Nations should mean everything to them and wanting to win a championship should mean anything. So it is it is a strange one, there's no question about it. But then again, it's France, these things happen, you know, they really do. And speaking of, of changes and, and stories that I found a bit um, surprising, I completely understood Owen Farrell wanting to take a little bit of a step back, uh, probably getting abuse online and all of the kind of stuff that was going on with them on a regular basis. But I didn't see it coming that he was going to go to France. Yeah, well, Rassen have come out since their initial report and said they're downplaying it and saying that there's there's not much to the whole thing. Like, you know, it wouldn't be the first time that a club have done something like that and it turned out to be true. But yeah, it certainly got a lot of people talking yesterday. Like, Ong Farrell's had a really interesting career crossroads. Obviously, stepping away from international rugby, it, it appears it might be permanent. Like, because by the time he comes back, he would what, be 34, maybe mm-hmm. 30, 35. I, think, I honestly think that'd be a good move for him. I think he should get out of that the firing line it's not as if he'd be going off into the sunset like Rossing seriously competitive side he'd be on good money playing in a great league Stuart Lancaster there is kind of an English presence would be able to kind of maybe mitigate against any kind of culture shock going into an all French culture which sometimes can be very different to what players in, in kind of Britain and Ireland are used to so even if there's no kind of truth to this one I definitely think it's something he should pursue because the amount of abuse he gets for an England legend yeah. like from his own people it's like you know because Johnny Sexton made 
you know, errors, he made mistakes. Say that, you know, the Champions Cup final, him getting banned for all those games, that seriously impacted the World Cup impact ultimately because it meant Andy Farrell went with a strong team from the off. People said maybe the team got tired, whatever about that. But, like, people rallied around Johnny Sexton. They were, they were kind of like, Certainly not abusing him with this mm. social media kind of nasty abuse, which Alan Farrell has been subjected to. And it's not as if he's had some high tackles. 100%, he should be criticised for that. But some of the abuse, 100%, has been over the top. So I don't think it's any harm. He'd be 30, I think he'd be 33 next year. That's a good time, I think, to finish it off with two or three years abroad. Absolutely, yeah. And as you said, you get well paid for it. And, he, and, you know, if we're honest about it as well, maybe he's seeing the writing on the wall a little bit too. Marcus Smith, uh, 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 there's no question. Marcus Smith, for me, should be the 10 for England and should be given time uh, to work into that role uh, because they keep putting him in, taking him out. You know, they don't give him consistency mm. there. So I really do think that he should be given more time in there. Maybe, maybe Farrell is seeing that, that, you know, his time is coming to an end in that position and they're going to have to move towards Smith. Yeah, well, I definitely think that, like, Steve Bortwick's insistence, Annelie Jones' insistence that they have to build around Alan Farrell, I think has been misguided because not only is Marcus Smith a very exciting talent who probably does need a length of time invested in him because he hasn't been able to kind of click it internationally yet, but you also have George Ford who's playing really good rugby as well. So, like, any comparison to, say, Johnny Sexton and being like, oh, well, like, he played until 38, Alan Farrell could do the same. But Ireland needed Johnny Sexton. There was no Marcus Smith, league-winning out half operating in Ireland who was tearing up trees, or George Ford, another league-winning out half who started a World Cup final mm. operating in Ireland. Like England have plenty of options, and Owen Farrell's international form has been mediocre for a long time. Yeah. To be fair, he won the league last year with Saracens, did play well at club level, but at an international level, he's been very poor. Whether it's been a ten or a twelve, so I actually think I you know I, putting aside that. It was very bad abuse, and I feel for him. As from a rugby perspective, I actually think this could be a good thing for England to turn the page, you know, go in a different direction. Now, whether Bortwick is the man to deliver a Marcus Smith-led team to glory, I would be doubtful. But I do think it's the right decision from a rugby perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, interesting to see Felix Jones going in there as well as defence coach, um, an attacking coach, I suppose better known as with his time in South Africa. So uh, a bit of a change for him, but I think you know. A good move, nonetheless. Yeah, definitely. Like he's been very shrewd about building his career. You know, to, to get into that South African environment, you saw what they achieved over the last two World Cup cycles, and he he grew his role, which is a mark of a good coach. I think he initially was kind of like a kind of a Northern Hemisphere liaison. There's so many players based up there that he was a good guy to have with a knowledge of that rugby scene to kind of link in and then it gradually grew and grew and he took more ownership and it's a great opportunity for him it's funny that he's you know over in England and we have other coaches in other setups you know in Europe but it's, yeah, it's a massive opportunity for him it's interesting to see like people like himself Ronan O'Gara other coaches who are abroad like at, at any stage are they kind of called home because in rugby, there's a lot of countries to make your living in. The Irish system is quite small. It's difficult to kind of break your way in there, I'd imagine. So these guys have gone a different route, and you can tell by the way they've been upwardly promoted that they're really, really highly rated across the board. Absolutely, and and you know I, I'm in full agreement with uh, Andy Farrell uh, being the current Irish coach, but that can't last forever. Things have to move on, and that's the way it is. And I I think it's very interesting the way there's this pool of Irish coaches, the likes of Ronagar, the likes of Felix, um, plenty of others that are just kind of. 
doing their apprenticeships quietly away, um, maybe not so quietly with Ronagara, but they're, they're doing their apprenticeships and we could have a really phenomenal uh, coach, even the likes of Paul O'Connell, you know, he's doing an apprenticeship as well, learning his trade with the Irish team. But uh, you give it another three, four years, there could be a great uh, pool of Irish coaches to put together. Imagine that coaching ticket. Oh, definitely. And like the way Andy Farrell's contract has now been structured, it goes up to the next World Cup. No matter what happens, I'd imagine that will be maybe when he goes back to England in some capacity. Mm. It would coincide maybe with the end of Owen Farrell's career. Like no father wants to manage the, son, the end of their son's international career if he's like an England captain or something like that. So I think he, he's smart to not want to go back that direction at the moment. But by 2027, he'll have been a head coach here for eight years, defence coach as well for almost 12 years, I think. Yeah. So it would be time for a new coaching ticket in Ireland, I think. And I think I think everyone wants Ron O'Gara, don't they? I think it would be a shame if, with all the success he's had, with the profile he's had, if he doesn't take a top head coaching job in Ireland at some stage. I think the head coach of Ireland is what he has his eye on. Yeah. And 2027, I think, will be the ideal time to bring him back. But there's other candidates. You mentioned you know, Felix Jones, you know, like the head coaches like Leo Cullen. You know, there's the guys who are in there at the moment, Paul O'Connell, Simon Eastery. Like, Annie Farrell's likely to be named the Lions head coach next week or two weeks' time. Mm. That's going to mean a full season of international rugby where either Simon Eastery or Paul O'Connell are going to be the head coach for a November campaign and a Six Nations campaign. So they're not just doing that so come 2027, they can say, here you go, Rod, fair yeah, play to you. Yeah. But they'll want the head coach job too. So there'll be a lot of competition. It'll be very fascinating to see how they go. Absolutely. Okay, let's bring it back to uh, the provinces. They're on a break this week. Um, and then, of course, Champions Cup is just around the corner as well. Uh, where do we see, like, I mean, Leinster, an un-Leinster like performance in many people's eyes against Ulster, albeit there was rotation involved, the weather was a factor, but their excuses. Um, the fact is, Ulster played very, very well and stuck to their guns, got off to a flyer, and uh, de- were deserving of their win against Leinster. And I think Leinster would be the first people to a- admit that. But overall, Leinster in a strong position, sitting top of the table on 34 points and Champions Cup rugby to come. Yeah, I think this week off has come at a good time for Leinster. With no match, they can really get on the training pitch with Jack Neenaber and kind of drill down into some of the things he wants to bring to the party. He was kind of brought in before the Connacht game, which was only a week before the La Rochelle game, which was a defining game of the season, even though it was the opening pool game. So I don't imagine he's had a huge amount of on-pitch time, especially with some of the senior international kind of guys who haven't played maybe quite as much. So I think this is a good week off with a two-week run-in into that Stade Francais game. Because I haven't been overly impressed with Leinster. I know they've only lost, what, two matches so far, but mm. the performance level hasn't been what I think we've become accustomed to. Like, say, the Munster game at home and the Ulster game at home, which they lost, I think we're kind of similar in the sense that the amount of chances they, they coughed up. Leinster this year, to me, are requiring, like, say, three really good chances to maybe score one or two tries, which ordinarily they get a sniff they score. Whereas now, they're, they're coughing up a lot of good chances. Like, we saw it cost them dearly against Ulster. Didn't cost them against Munster, but could have. Munster made that big break at the end. So, these are kind of, I think, post-World Cup new coach teething problems. I'm not overly worried, but beating La Rochelle in that opening game really sets them up nicely in Europe. And especially, if, as I said, if Antoine Dupont doesn't end up playing the latter stages, Toulouse have lost their talisman. So, I think Leinster are still very well positioned to win trophies this year. There'll be a bit of disruption now. They have two Champions Cup games, then the Six Nations come. 
then they'll be very quickly into European knockouts. So there's mm. not that much time for Neen Aber to put a stamp on things, really. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's going to be a tough season for them, no doubt whatsoever. Um, they've been f- more fortunate <clears throat> with injuries, I think, maybe than the other provinces. Uh, certainly, that leads me on to Munster. Um, they've been absolutely devastated by injuries. The only way you can describe it, and they are putting in good performances. You know, they're considering how many injuries they have, but then they go out and 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 you know, like Tom Hearn is on fire at the moment. There's no question about it. But then they lose the likes of a dog bow and injury after injury in the, in the front row back rows Jack O'Donoghue it's just uh, like I'm looking at a list here of <laughs> injuries and it's just I, I can't have lost track of the numbers it must be in the 20s at this stage yeah it's almost a full team you know and not only is it a lot of key players it robs them of their depth as well it means they're really just down to their starting team if even like Tony Butler started against Connacht and they lost because they needed to give Jack Crowley a rest I think he pretty much started every single game since he came back from the World Cup or maybe the Dragons game. Mm. Um, so uh, considering he'll have a big workload later in the season, his first six nations likely starting, they had to get some rest into his legs. And unfortunately, it cost him dearly in Galway, albeit I thought Tony Butler had, had a pretty good game in, in awful conditions. But yeah, the injury list is mad. And as you said, it's funny because within some of these games, like the Exeter game, they, they scored unbelievable tries in that game. Some yeah. absolutely great rugby, which we wouldn't have thought that was possible under Johan van Graan. So it's not as if this season has been an unmitigated disaster. Injury-wise and results-wise, it kind of has. But performance-wise, I still think, even in that Leinster game I mentioned, they lost pretty narrowly, but they played some really good rugby as well. I think they're still going in the right direction. Big picture, obviously, you know, kind of micro of this season, their Champions Cup campaign is basically gone which is frustrating because they should have won both of their first two matches and been in a good position. But they need to just kind of get through this injury riddle period, build back up through the URC, hopefully nick a place in the knockouts of Europe to get at least one kind of good day out. But I think this season is all about building the game plan and adding more layers to it and not forgetting about kind of trophies. But I think that ship has maybe sailed a little bit. So Mm. I think Munster fans maybe have to be realistic. With an injury list like that, I don't think any team, bar maybe Leinster with their death, could compete. But so I, but I still think the rugby they're playing is still a step forward than what we were seeing a couple of seasons ago. Yeah, OK, very good. And then uh, Connacht, they'll be delighted with that win over Munster. They played well. I watched the game and they played well. They, they There was a couple of times where in the past you might have seen Connacht cough the game up or make mistakes that would allow Munster back into it. But they stuck to their guns and they did play well. Um, but... They're having a mixed season, though. It just doesn't feel as good. It feels like Pete, Wilk- Pete Wilkins is trying to build that, that squad a little bit as well. Yeah, like they badly needed that win. I think they'd lost five in a row. Mm. Uh, albeit they had like an absolutely kind of murderous row of a fixture list. You know, there was Saracens, Leinster, Ulster, Munster. Like, there was not many easy wins on, on that fixture list over that period, to be fair. Mm. So they badly needed that one, and it was terrible conditions they managed it better than Munster if you've read of JJ Hanrahan he was kind of a bit of a curious signing like he's been kind of kicking around a few different clubs the last couple of seasons but he kicked very well you know they need Mac Hansen and Bundyaki fit and firing and unfortunately Mac Hansen's had a couple of nickels this year since coming back from the World Cup Bundy had a nickel come back from the World Cup and his form for Connacht has not been great if we're being honest generally he's been turning it on as we all know in the green jersey of Ireland but the green journey of Connacht he hasn't quite been as prolific. I, I don't want to say he's like kind of minding himself for those international windows, but he's not the talismanic figure he was 
of prior seasons where Connacht and if Connacht are going to be competitive or push into the top eight of the league or you know snatch a win or two in Europe over the next couple of weeks he needs to be front and centre they play Bristol away or home sorry that, like, that's their kind of real winnable European game and yeah. if they win that they'll maybe get a bit of Challenge Cup to the back door which is still a great opportunity for Connacht. Like the Challenge Cup is definitely a better tournament than it has been in prior years. They're not going to get to the knockout stage uh, of the Champions Cup, but the Challenge Cup is still, for me, a, an important kind of proving ground. Absolutely. Like They kind of didn't take it seriously last year, and they had an opportunity to win it, and they ended up having away draws when they should have been home all the way through. So I'd like to see them take it a bit more seriously if they get in. Yeah, OK. Well, then finally, Ulster... Um like I said, pr- brilliant performance against Leinster coming down to the RDS. Ne- never an easy thing to do. And um, they've won six and lost three uh, in their matches in the URC. So it's it's kind of a mixed bag for them as well. But they, they're playing better rugby. Oh, they really are a yo-yo club, Reggie. Like, mm. in before the Racing game with three weeks ago, their season looked almost dead in the water. And then they have a big performance. They beat Rossing at home. Then they go to the RDS and have another big performance. All of a sudden, Toulouse are coming to town on Saturday week to Ravenhill on Saturday night. Like that's going to be a cracking atmosphere, and like that's a huge opportunity for us to again. All of a sudden, a season where it looked like they'd be knocked out in the group stage of Europe and be scratching around the league, you know, to get like an away quarter and probably lose again, has lots of life in it. They're, like the guys that we've been crying out to see form from. Nick Timoney, James Hume. Dublin Sporting Communities, funded by Comishoon the Man, with the television license fee on Sunshine 106.8. Yeah, well, in the year that's in it, we've decided that we wanted to make a special effort to highlight the different sporting communities across Dublin City and County in this special section of the show. We know that these clubs do a lot for Dublin and many of their listeners are involved in them. So we're kicking off the new year and I'm delighted to be joined in studio by Dr. Anthony O'Connor, chairperson of Ballantyre St. John's. The club has over 160 teams across four codes and it makes a huge impact in the community with over 3,800 members. Dr. Anthony, you're very welcome to Dublin Stalking Sport. How are you? Thanks very much, Reggie. Yeah, thanks. Great to have you in and yeah I mean we want to uh, try and highlight the amount of work that local clubs are doing um, with the year that's in it so uh, your own club tell us a little bit about it Okay so we're a club based at the foothills of the Dublin Mountains uh, we have nearly 4,000 members 165 teams across four codes we have 2,000 men, women, boys, girls out representing our club colours every weekend we've had a lot of success, particularly at underage levels in, in, in recent years. But I suppose the main success for me is, is seeing people getting out, mingling, getting active and, 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 and really sort of, I, I think what we do really is, is, is turn what would be a suburb into a little town or a village. And I'm, I'm very, very proud of that. That's the thing I'm most proud of. Yeah, and the growth of the game, I suppose, is the thing that you're noticing more. So, I mean, those numbers are phenomenal. 3,800 members, absolutely incredible. Fantastic. And one of the things I'm most proud of is if you look at the sort of under 6 to under 12 level, we have a slight majority of girls over boys, which would have been unthinkable sort of 15, 20 years ago. So that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, we have done a lot of uh, work over the last number of years here uh, talking about Ladies GA, Declan Drake certainly uh, promoting the game no end. But I remember, I can 
distinctly remember the All Ireland, the first sort of uh, ladies All Ireland finals, and maybe ten thousand in Croke Park if, if we're lucky. And uh, now that's grown to fifty, sixty thousand uh, on a regular basis. So, uh, as you said, I, I think the ladies' game just the, the biggest growth factor at the moment. It's great. We took five hundred people to the ladies All Ireland final last year from the club. We had buses going over. We've uh, a girl, Orla Nolan, who's just won her second All Star with the Dublin Ladies Footballers. In my opinion, the finest athlete the club has ever produced. Uh, a, a brilliant soccer player as well and could probably do whatever she turns her hands to but we took 500 people over and one of the nicest things to me was people who were born all over different countries people whose parents came from all over the world and they're there inside at a real Dublin occasion looking at Dublin girls winning an All-Ireland and cheering on one of our own neighbours. It was just just fantastic, a real feel-good occasion it was for the whole club. Yeah, you mentioned uh, people from other countries. Are you surprised uh, maybe with the, some of the, the nationalities that are taking an interest in playing Gaelic? It's brilliant. I mean, and, and, and you know, there, there's, there, there's huge advantages to it as well because fellas like me who've been playing hurling and football for 40-odd years, we've fallen into bad habits. So when you've got a lad like in my group now, I have a lad from Italy, a lad from Bosnia, a woman from the Czech Republic who help out with the coaching. So they'll go and they'll read it by the book as to how to do it. And they don't have any bad habits to pass on to the kids. So you can really tap into that too. And they come with a wealth of experience in other sports as well. And because of where we're located in Dublin, we're located in an area where rugby is very strong, hurling strong, football, soccer, um, hockey is very strong you know so we can tap into all of that and and, 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 and it, you can see it in the way our teams play I think you know that sort of influence in other sports and it's fantastic in other countries and, and, and we're a real diverse bunch I'm very proud of that Yeah you mentioned other sports because it is interesting sort of the south of Dublin uh, GA maybe north side much stronger uh, but like you know we're seeing clubs like Kula Ballyboden yourselves the growth is enormous with um people from on the south side of the city. Absolutely, and Ken McCulloch-Croaks, our, our neighbours and friends, yes. going for a second All-Ireland uh, th- 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 this, this weekend. So, But no, it's great, and I do really see that sort of cross-pollination of other sports, and it's a fantastic thing, thing, thing for me to see as a club chair and a coach. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm always encouraging uh, rugby players uh, when they're younger and my own lads, all of them play Gaelic because for hand-eye coordination and the, what that brings to you for rugby, it's absolutely incredible. I played it myself for years and it's it, it's a fantastic game, number one in its own right, but maybe for lads like me, when you start to get a bit bulkier uh, it's, not, <laughs> it's not as easy to play, but you never lose that hand-eye coordination. Well, what I notice with the young boys and girls who go into the rugby minis is they come back to us, they're very good at evasion because that's that, that's taught very well I think in, in, in the sort of mini rugby section so they're, mm. they're very good at evasion which really helps their Gaelic football and hurling and look the more things people are playing the more people are out the more people are interacting with one another a, a rising tide lifts all boats and I think it makes our communities in Dublin you know much better places to live I think What are the biggest challenges for the club at the moment I suppose finance will be the one that everybody points to Well we're lucky we've got good sponsors we've got lots of members uh, you know, but obviously finance is an ongoing challenge the biggest problem for, for, for GA clubs in Dublin is space Mm. You know, space to play you know land is land is not cheap here so I talk to my counterparts in clubs around the country and they look at the numbers we have and say wow that's fantastic you must have no problems we've got to find spaces for all these kids to play we've got to you know we, we really aim to retain all the kids coming through into teenage years and into their 20s and playing on a lifelong basis we've got to find more and more pitches and you know even up to last night we're looking at every blade of glass, blade of glass around yeah. South Dublin to look yeah. at, look at play. And, and all of our, our peer clubs are, are the absolute same I was saying to people if they left enough Christmas trees outside 
outside the house, we'd line them and stick goalposts and nets <laughs> up outside them. Like, you well, know. you're up in Marley yeah. Park and around there. Is there any room for expansion within that? Have the councils open to that idea? We have a great partnership with the council and we have mm. a, a good few pitches in Marley and we use pitches uh, nearby in Broadford as well. But it's it's just, look, it's it's a fact of life. It's because of where we live and we, we've, we've great communities in many ways. But, you know, space is a challenge. Uh, but look, you know, the, the, the county board are, are investing in facilities in, in, in Spawell and, and, and on the other side of the city as well, up by the airport. So uh, all that's going to help as well. But look, it, that is going to be the ongoing challenge, but we're up for it. And I suppose you're up for more membership all the time as well. Is there still room for people to come along if they're interested? Absolutely, 100%. It's the one thing I'm 100% committed to in the club is that we'll never turn a child away. We'll never have trials. We'll never, you know, anyone who wants to come and play, we'll find a team for you, no matter if you've never played before. Like we, we, we've, we've, um, we've, we've, our most recent team we've set up is for for, for uh, the Mothers and Others team. And, um, you know, at Christmas then, all the teams are bled in together, seniors, mothers and others, intermediates, minors. And we had a situation on New Year's Day where we'd all start are laying off a pass to an Australian girl who picked up a Gaelic football for the first time in her life three months previously who put the ball over the bar in our Parish Cup games on St Stephen's Day and it's fantastic to see things that geez, where else would you get it it's great That's not a Ballantyre accent you, uh, <laughs> you came up a while ago I suppose did you and just found your home in Ballantyre I married a Ballantyre woman but I'm from Cork myself as you might have guessed yeah, I did, I did yeah, guess yeah, that yeah. I know, I'm the opposite of you I, I married a woman who was originally from Cork but um, yeah they 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 end up, um, I'm living where she came from, so that's that's the way things happen. <laughs> uh, Anthony, absolute pleasure talking to you. Really Thank enjoyed you. that conversation and uh, really sounds like a, a vibrant club, a huge amount of work being done. As I said, over 3,800 members, 160 teams across four codes and making a huge impact uh, in, in the community. So thank you very much for being our first guest Thank you. in this uh, section. Dublin Sporting Communities, funded by Comishoon the Man, with the television license fee on Sunshine 106.8. Yes, indeed. Uh, great talking to Anthony there. Uh, but all the wonderful work that's going on in the local community clubs. And of course, there's plenty going on around the capital as well in our uh, GAA section. Delighted to be joined in studio by Sean Lane. Sean, what's happening as we enter into the new year? And happy new year to you. Many happy returns, right? Yeah. I suppose just on a, on a hurling front first, I mean, the... Michal Donoghue had uh, his team out on Thursday night, first um, of the Walsh Cup. A very, very good, comprehensive win over Westmead. Lovely to see Ronan Hayes back and, you know, joined by his brother John for the first time. So, uh, over, all over in Kilmacud, Crokes be very, very happy with that. So, a very, very good start from, from a hurling point of view. Today, the footballers, uh, Reggie, they're, they're taking an awfully um, in the O'Bourne Cup. Uh, you know, everybody, firstly, I'd like to give a big mention to Liam Smith from our own club and volunteer St. John's. He's starting at number two, so wish him luck. But equally, everybody, they won't be worried about what happens today between themselves and Offaly Reggie. Everybody will be talking about is Stephen Cluxton coming back? Is, is Mick Fitzsimons coming back? James McCarthy, Jack McCaffrey. So that'll be all the talk. It's, it's, a, it's a second squad Um Great to see them all getting senior jerseys. So they're the two big games in the capital this weekend. But mm. the bigger game uh, around it would be the the two All Ireland uh, club matches. Club finals, and of course we're looking at St Bridget's uh, and Castlehaven and Chemical Croaks and Waddy Graham's game. 
Yeah, yeah. Croaks will take that one first. Croaks and the Glen, they're, they're playing Sunday in Uri at 3.45. Look, I, I, you know, um, we all know what happened last year in the final. The Croaks ended up, you know, being awarded the game in the end because they, they did have a 16th player on the field when at the final whistle, which they shouldn't have done. But, um, you know, if, if Shane Walsh and, and Paul Mannion can hit form to, to uh, on Sunday, Robbie Brennan will be delighted with that. And I, I can certainly see that Croaks will probably get the better of, of the Glen. But on the other side, the Glen, like Maliki O'Rourke, a fantastically experienced manager, ex Monaghan. You know Connor Glass and 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 Emmett Buckley. These are really really good footballers that that play with Glen. So. Uh, this is not going to be over till it's really over. And uh, last yeah. year as well, yeah. so that's going to add to it. You know that uh, whole sixteenth man saga. It, it will, and 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 I was just saying to Anthony before we came in that if I was in 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 Croke's shoes, I, I'd like to be a couple of points up going into the last one rather than a point down because these things have a way of of balancing out over over your lifetime that the, a call could go against you. But I, I I'm hoping Croke's will win it, but. You know, I, I'm going to tip Glenn and I'll be probably shot by my neighbours, but I, I do hope Croaks win it. But I, I just think that it, it, it could go down on the side of the Derry team, you know. Okay, right. The other big one then is obviously Bridget's uh, are playing Castlehaven. Castlehaven would be the, the home of, of, of uh, and, and Anthony would know this would be the home of uh, Larry Tompkins and, and Niall Cahillan and famous families. Uh, so uh, they've had good form. They, they won the Cork Championship, obviously. Um, they were probably beaten for nearly every minute of the game against Dingle in the Munster final, but they never gave up and they ended up drawing the game. They ended up drawing the extra time. They won it on penalties. There's just something about Castlehaven this year. They, they won the, the, the Munster Championship back in 1997. They haven't done it since. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to try and push on here. Bridget's, I saw Bridget's, they, they, they won the Roscommon Championship. Um, they beat Curra Finn in the, in the Connacht final. Now, two things that stood out to me that day was that the Curra Finn team was nowhere near the Curra Finn team that we would associate with, with at this level. They, they certainly be, seem to be a, a, a step or two back from that level. Uh, but I thought the Bridget's side were really, really good. They were very, very young side They've some excellent forwards, uh, Connor Hand and Ben O'Connell. So that's going to be really tight. But I just think that one, Reggie, will come down with a little bit more experience on the Castlehaven side. Thanks for listening to Dublin Stock and Sport on Sunshine 106.8 from myself, Ken and Reggie. Have a good weekend. <laughs>